Well, if I briefly met you guys, but I'll give you guys a quick little background uh, of me. So my name's Dan Mackett. My wife and I, uh, Alyssa, have been coming here for about four years. We're originally from Wisconsin and we moved out Yeah, a little over four years ago. I uh, started coming to Delray very quickly. We visited one other church and then next week we came here and never left and it's been such a gift. Um, we have one son, Jones. He's 18 months. Uh, so it's been a joy to kind of enter into that new season. Um, I'll share a little bit more just about my own work journey because I think it's important and applicable as we uh, enter into thinking about the gospel at work. So over the next nine weeks, we're, yep, we're going to be applying uh, the gospel to our specific workplaces. I think it's one of the most under-talked uh, about, undervalued um, uh, mission fields. I think oftentimes work... Uh, is seen as this thing that funds the real work of the ministry, quote-unquote, rather than actually being the mission field by which God has placed most of his people. And so before we get into this week, which will just be an overview of the gospel at work, and there's, I've read a bunch of books, there's a ton of different ways to splice and dice. I tried today to give us just a helpful overview uh, of, of the gospel at work. There we're going to leave things out, but uh, it'll, it'll be a brief overview. Um, but before we do that, um, you guys have the handout. So just wanted to give you guys a quick intro to the, to the schedule. So you'll see the nine topics that we'll be talking about. So we'll be talking about what does it look like to apply the, the fruit of the Spirit, asking the Spirit to produce in us that which we cannot produce in ourselves at work. Uh, we'll be looking at thorns in, in gospel work. So how does pride and fear of man and apathy and success and the pursuit of money distract us from beholding Christ and honoring Him in our work? We're talking about managing our time at work, praying without ceasing at work, evangelism at work, um, and then uh, potentially we have a few weeks at the end. If there's topics that people are wanting to, to discuss, we can uh, leverage the rest of the summer to do that. The structure of the class will be more interactive and um, hopefully uh, very applicable. So it's not going to be, this week might be a little bit more teaching heavy, um, but the, the structure of the class will be the first 10 minutes we will reflect as a group on last week's topic. So next week we'll spend the first 10 minutes just reflecting and praising God for the ways in which he produced in us something that we learned uh, the last week. Then we'll move into the time of teaching. Then we'll break up into small group reflection, which today will just be the five of us, which will be good. Uh, and in the last 10 minutes, we're actually going to just pray for our work. If we have decisions that we're making, people that we're struggling to love, and then actually praying for our coworkers as well, that they might know Christ if they don't. And if they do, that we might be a blessing to them at work. So that will be the structure of the class. And feel the, feel the freedom to interrupt me or some of the other teachers as we're, as we're teaching. This is supposed to be interactive uh, as well. So my, uh, my progression of how I viewed work was uh, I was a pastor's kid, by God's grace, knew the, knew the Lord at a young age, um, but then middle school and high school was very distracted from following Jesus. There was no other uh, guys my age in high school, and I was uh, pursuing the things of the world, uh, not thinking much about Jesus. Uh, the Spirit would constantly convict me, but I might turn for a day and then be back, be back in the sin. And so by the time I was uh, entering into college, there were two things that I desired. I desired to have a lot of fun, and I desired to get into the business school to make as much money as I could post-college. And the reason I wanted those two things, particularly the second one, was because I had been a golf caddy for the previous eight years. So from at age 11, I started caddying at one of the wealthier country clubs in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, and I did that for the next eight years. And it 
shaped my view of what I thought life is about. Because from my perspective, whether or not these guys that I was catting for viewed it this way, uh, my perspective, they had it all. They rolled in in their Beamers. They spent the weekend at the country club. They had more money than they knew what to do with. They had tons of leisure time. They had security in their wealth. I, and that's what I wanted. I was like, that is what life is about. So that's what I think work is for. And that's what I'm going to pursue when I get into college. And so my aim heading into college was get into business school, graduate, make as much money as I can so I can live the country club life. A very narrow <laughs> and hopeless vision of, of, of what our life is supposed to be like. But by God's grace, that first semester, the Lord quickly turned uh, that vision uh, upside down and, and showed how, how worthless that was and how hopeless that was as well. And so through some, some difficulties and happy to share at another point, just anxiety and panic attacks, the Lord comforted me in those and, and showed me that actually life was found in giving up our lives and serving Jesus and, and knowing his word and obeying his word. And he was kind to put me into um, Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, where guys just started discipling me and teaching me the word and teaching me what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now, caveat, when I went into Crew, Crew is a very missions-heavy organization, which by God's grace, they've sent missionaries all over the world. But there is kind of this, uh, I guess, stigma within Crew that it's the, your primary target, if you're going to be in Crew, is like, go be a missionary after college, which is great. Don't pursue whatever you're pursuing, whether it's engineering or medicine or business. Just leave, go to the nations. We got to reach uh, the world with the gospel, which is true. So it oftentimes felt like mission work or the pastorate was elevated above just normal work. And they were like, well, if you're going to go into normal work, just make sure you're giving sacrificially so that we can send uh, the missionaries to, to the ends of the, wor- the world. And so I was, I was really caught up in that sophomore year. I was like, ah, maybe I should just drop out of school and go to Turkey. They were asking people to go to Turkey. I was like, that sounds good. Business is useless. I don't need to do this. But the Lord was kind to put some older mentors, older, wiser mentors uh, around me to start teaching me and showing me yeah, the beauty of what God has, has created work to be and how he actually can use it for his glory. And so uh, one, one mentor took, uh, this is a little, little later, senior year, took uh, me and three other guys who were all heading into management consulting after college through Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller. And it really just helped shape the way in which, and I'd recommend that book uh, as a as further resource. But that really changed my perspective to see see work as this good thing that God created before the fall that he's given his people, not only to enjoy him and know him better, but to display his glory and tell others about himself. And so the Lord was yeah, really putting this passion uh, in me for applying the gospel at work. That affected my first two years of management consulting where it's kind of a dog-eat-dog, success-driven uh, but and year-end bonuses is what drives people's actions, and so yeah, I was really struggling. Okay, how do I actually apply the gospel at work? And the Lord was kind. Uh, got to start a little small group. There was three other believers in the firm that I at least knew of. It was a couple hundred people firm, and every morning at eight a.m. we gathered on Skype, even though we were in different offices, and we just shared one thing that we needed to pray for, whether it was a coworker, whether it was something we were struggling with, and then we prayed, and then we celebrated the ways in which we saw God answering our prayers. And by God's grace, we got to share the gospel with some people and see see the Lord. Uh, uh, yeah, use it. And so that was slowly but surely the Lord was teaching me what did, what did it look like, not only to do work well, because that in and of itself is glorifying to God, but also how to leverage it as a mission field. Then uh, the Lord moved my wife and I here to D.C. I worked in a nonprofit for three and a half years. That was great. 
And now uh, the Lord called uh, me to start an organization called Redemption Collective, and we launch businesses alongside local churches to provide uh, a space for them uh, to meet on Sundays and then provide an evangelism platform throughout the week. I won't go into to that. Uh, if you guys want to learn more, I'm happy to, to share uh, about that as well. So that's a little bit of my work journey. Um, but really, as I thought about this summer uh, and talking to the, to the elders, I just feel like there's this growing... Uh, yeah, I, th- I feel like there's a growing divide of what I explained with my experience with crew where, yeah, uh, the mission field or the pastorate is oftentimes elevated above uh, work, whether it's you're a janitor, whether you're in politics, whether you're working for the government, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a doctor, oftentimes it's ele- uh, elevated above the other. And that's not actually how God views it, because I was thinking about this verse lately. If pastors are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, part of that ministry is actually for the us as the body of Christ to go into all the ends of our spheres of influence which God has given us and to make disciples of all nations. And so that is the, like the, the pastors, the teachers of the church are to equip all of us so that we can do the work of the ministry. And part of that will include work, which is where we spend almost half of our waking hours each and every week. So let me just step back and just ask a simple question. How is work going? Just think about that for a second. How's your work going? Let's, let's let those thoughts just kind of come to mind. How is work going? Well, that question is likely something that we're asked uh, many times a week, especially in D.C., because our worlds revolve around work in D.C. So maybe anxiety or stress came to top of mind. Things at work aren't going well. You have tight deadlines. Your company's not performing well because of COVID, and you're worried about job security. There's just this deep anxiety when you think about work. Maybe it's excitement, on the other hand. You love what you do, you're using the gifts that God has given you, and you can't wait to get to work tomorrow morning. Maybe it's fear. Maybe that there's this constant pressure at work from your boss, and it bought your boss and your peers that if you don't do X, then the company won't succeed. It kind of feels like you're walking around on eggshells, and you're not free to be the person that God has created you to be in Christ. You're constantly fearing what your boss or your colleagues think of you, and that occupies your mind. Or maybe it's apathy. Or, as I would like to say, apathetic grumbling. You dislike your job. It seems boring, mundane, pointless. You wonder why God is having you do this for 40 hours per week. Is it producing good for anyone? You feel like you should be doing something more with more kingdom purpose. Brings it to the next point. Maybe it brings up thoughts of purpose. Is what I'm doing actually meaningful? Does God care about this Excel spreadsheet that I'm on 40 hours a week? Or this marketing plan that I'm creating for this campaign? Or this email that I'm sending to a colleague? Or lastly, maybe it's, maybe it's prideful ambition. Maybe you think you deserve a promotion. You think your current job is beneath your skill set and your talents, and you want to be at the next level, and you will not be satisfied until you get there. For me this morning, it's a bit of anxiety and stress, uh, and it's a bit of fear of man, where I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a little bit worried with where our organization is right now, uh, and it, I, I really have to turn to the Lord and ask for his strength, especially for, for provision. We're at a kind of a turning point in our company's financials. And so that's something that I'm anxious about and I need to give over to the Lord. Now, let me ask two more questions. And I think these are just helpful questions for us as we think about work in general. As you think about your work, what is it that most motivates you? So tomorrow morning when you get up, what most motivates you from a heart level? And then secondly, do you regularly experience God's presence and power in your job? Do you regularly experience God's presence and power in your job. 
Well, as I said, I think Christians have far too often minimized the beauty, the goodness, and the mission field that is in the marketplace. We can fall into the trap of thinking that the only real ministry is if you're in full-time vocational job. But when we fall into this line of thinking, it's easy to minimize what God has intended for work, and it can, be quick, it quick, it can quickly become something that God uses simply to provide for your family and for the real work of the ministry. And while that is part of it, it's such a small portion of what God intends for our work. He has much greater purposes for our work. As we see in Scripture, uh, work in and of itself was good before the fall. Key word, before the fall. God gave Adam and Eve the command to, uh, to take care of the garden and subdue it. And then he gave Adam uh, the work of naming the animals. God himself works. He created all things. He's currently sustaining all things. Jesus worked as a carpenter on earth. And so when we work, we are actually reflecting a character trait of God himself. But we know that work experience is not what it was supposed to be. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, it changed the nature of work. Sin brought destruction on everything, including work. God said that it would now be toilsome and have many thorns and thistles. It would no longer be done in perfect fellowship with God and with one another. Work would be done in a decaying earth with broken relationships all around. But despite the curse, uh, despite the curse on work, God in his mercy is restoring work through Christ. And when we look to the gospel, and that's what we're going to be doing in this class, our work is completely redefined. And so you'll see on your, your, uh, your handout, we're going to be talking about two main points today. Point one, your job title is first and foremost this. You're an ambassador of Jesus. It doesn't, you could say you're a doctor, you could say you're a lawyer, but your, your job title is first and foremost that you are an ambassador of Jesus. Well, what do you do for work? As I said earlier, you likely get this question all the time. And if you're like me, my heart always wants to respond to that question in such a way where my work sounds interesting, important, significant. There's that pressure to answer that question in a way that attempts to prove our meaning or prove our worth to the person that we're talking to. And I think this is especially true in D.C. There's that temptation to to prove ourselves to that person when we respond to that question. And that's a great temptation and snare of work after the fall. We want, to work, we want work to give us significance and meaning apart from God. Let's just really quick reflect on the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Why did the people start building a tower? The text says this in verse 4. Then they said, Come, let us build, a city, uh, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we would be scattered over the whole face of the earth so that we may make a name for ourselves. They weren't satisfied in the name that God had given them, which was image bearer, daughter or son of the Almighty. They weren't satisfied that God was sovereign, that he was good, and that the one to whom they should have built the tower for as an act of worship was God himself. They wanted meaning apart from God. They wanted their work to mean something apart from him. This will be one of our great temptations at work, to work for meaning and significance apart from God, to prove ourselves to him, and to prove ourselves to those around us. But thanks be to God that he is a jealous, compassionate, and holy God. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. And in his jealous love, in Genesis 11, he confounded the people at Babel and didn't let, their, didn't let them live in their blatant, rebellious pride for very long. 
He destroyed the building project, confused their languages, and scattered them around the earth. It was an act of mercy because it showed them that they were pursuing the wrong thing. God knew that the tower only re- represented death because there is no life, there's no, need, there's no meaning, there's no name uh, that we can get apart from uh, God Almighty and what he says of us. You and I likely desire to build our own Tower of Babel. We will be tempted to pursue a job title or status that gives us meaning apart from God. And as he was merciful to Babel in judgment, he has been merciful towards us in Christ. Jesus Christ is the only person who never worked to build a Tower of Babel. In perfect humility and obedience before God, he came to us, he lived among us, he worked as a carpenter, and he ministered to us. And at the end of his life, he didn't use his power to build a tower for himself. He used his power to take up a cross that you and I deserve to bear. He carried the cross of Calvary's Hill, not for his own glory, but for the glory of his Father. Not to make a name for himself, but to glorify his Father's name. Jesus laid down his life, died the death that we deserve, and resurrected in victory so that we could confess that there's only one name that is above all names. There's only one name that can not only reconcile us to God, but also give us purpose, meaning, and fruit in our work that he's called us to. So when we repent of our rebellion, of our own Babel building, and we turn to Jesus in faith, we're not only forgiven, reconciled to God, and adopted as his secure children, but we're given a new job title. Our new job title is that is one that is far better than we could ever imagined, a title that we definitely never deserved, and a title that does come with significant responsibility and that's being an ambassador, an ambassador of Jesus. So we're going to dive in a little bit to 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. So if you want to turn there, either on, in your Bible uh, or on your phone, and I'd love for two of you all to read it. So 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 through 21. Could someone read verses 11 through 15, and then someone pick up verse 16 and finish out through 21? Great, thanks, Eric. And then someone can just pick up right after that. Second Corinthians five eleven through fifteen. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new Mm. has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal for us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, 
be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Praise God. Thanks, brothers, for reading. So we're going to observe three things in this text. First, we're going to see that Christ sovereignly redeems his adversary to become his ambassador. Christ sovereignly redeems his adversary to become his ambassador. Let's look at verse 18. It says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us. God alone makes us ambassadors. The passage says that we had to be made new and that our old self had to die. Our old self was dead in sin, apart from God, unable to work ourselves back to God, unable to prove ourselves before him. Our old self tried to make a name for ourselves rather than glorify his name. We were his adversary, but God's sovereign grace has made us his ambassador. And I think that there's a ton of things that we can think about when we're uh, about the, the role of an ambassadorship, but uh, there's a commentator, David Guzik, uh, I think he summarized it, summarizes it well. He says, there's so much to the idea of being ambassadors. An ambassador does not speak to please his audience, but the king who sent him. An ambassador does not speak on his own authority. His own opinions or demands mean little. He simply says what he has been commissioned to say. But an ambassador is more than a messenger. He is also a representative. And the honor and reputation of his country are in his hands. So when you think about your role as an ambassador, remember that God did everything to give us that title. We did nothing. And it will be important for us to constantly reflect on that each and every day, multiple times a day at work, to constantly rejoice in the grace of God so that we won't be tempted to thinking we did anything to earn that title. When we rejoice in the gospel, when we rejoice in the fact that God alone has made us his ambassadors, there will be a humility by which we approach our work. And our work is no longer a means of proving ourselves to God. That is so freeing. The world has to prove themselves through their work. We don't have to prove ourselves. We've already been secured forever in Christ. He's promised a new kingdom. He's promised that Jesus is coming again and he's making a new heavens and an earth. And that is what we hope for. So now we're actually free to worship God through our work rather than earn God's approval through work, which we could not do anyway. Second point, Christ's ambassadors have been entrusted with a great and weighty responsibility, telling others about the king who reconciles. We've been entrusted with this great responsibility, telling others about the king who reconciles. Verse 19, look at it with me, it says, we've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. And then in 20, Paul says that God making his appeal through us, or it's kind of a confusing phrase, really in other words, it's God is pursuing sinful men by using formerly sinful man who he has made new to preach the word of Christ to them. So God has entrusted us with the message and he's actually using us as a means by which he is declaring the message to those that are perishing. And let's just think about this for a second. And Hannah and uh, Tyler actually brought this up before uh, we started the class. For many of us, our workplaces are filled with predominantly unbelievers. Most of our workplaces are likely filled with predominantly unbelievers. Many or all of your colleagues, your clients, partners that you work with likely do not know or submit to King Jesus. And we're going to spend over 40%, probably actually 50% of our waking hours each week at work alongside these people who do not know Jesus. Half of our week is spent around these folks who do not know the great saving love of God. 
We won't spend anywhere close to that amount of time at church, with our church family, with our neighbors, or likely even with our family. This is a tremendous opportunity and a tremendous responsibility. It's important for us to not, let, not limit ourselves to thinking that God has given us our job simply to provide financially for our families or provide for the church or those around us. That is true, and that is indeed one of God's purposes for our work, but it is not the, the only or primary thing. God has sovereignly placed you, placed I, in our job around specific people. Let those specific people come to mind for a specific purpose. He has entrusted us with the message of reconciliation, that God is forgiving sinners like us. And if our colleagues never hear that message, they never receive it, and they die, they will spend an eternity apart from God in hell. Let that sink in for a moment. Many of your colleagues who do not know Jesus, if they die without hearing that message and receiving it, they will spend an eternity apart from God in hell. We need to be people who intentionally get to know our colleagues, get to know our clients, actively serve them as Christ would, and fervently pray for doors to be open to proclaim Christ to them. And this can happen in many ways, and we're going to talk about these ways as the weeks go on, but just consider a few points of application. Each day, pray for your colleague's salvation by name. If you have other colleagues that are believers, hop on a Zoom call or get to work 10 minutes early and just ask God to open a door that you might proclaim Christ to them. Do it every day. Be proactive in asking good and intentional questions. Don't always talk about work. Don't just use like Monday morning, hey, how was your weekend? Good. Get into it. Say you went to church. Be intentional about asking them about their families, about ways in which they're struggling, about ways in which you can serve them. And then lastly, be cognizant that the quality of your work and the spirit in which you do your work will either build trust with them or it will ruin it. And we are not going to save people. That's God's work. But trust does open ears. And so the quality of your work and the way in which God is producing the fruit of the spirit in you at work will build trust with them or it will ruin it. And I've, I've seen Jerry... Uh, do this really well. He, he, <laughs> he pushes me towards excellence. He actually sits on my board of directors for my organization, and he's constantly pushing me towards excellence, constantly be pushing me towards showing the quality of work that Christ would require of me. Now, let's just caveat and say wisdom is needed as we proclaim Christ at work. It, can, it can't be the only thing we ever talk about, uh, and we're going to have to be shrewd uh, in when and how we talk about it. And we'll talk more about this in the weeks to come. Different companies are going to have different procedures, and there's, there's ways in which we can uh, actually leverage time at work to then build relationships to share Christ outside of work, which actually may be uh, the most appropriate time depending on your context at work. Third, third point from this this text, Christ's ambassadors will look foolish to the world at work. You are going to look foolish to the world at work. Paul, part of Paul's aim in the entire letter of 2 Corinthians is to remind believers that Christ's ambassadors will look different than the rest of the world. The world will not understand the way in which God calls us to live our lives or the things in which he brings into our life because they don't know the king who rules us. They don't, they don't know the country to whom we are actually citizens of. Look at verse 12. It says, We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance out, outward appearance, and not about what is in the heart. That phrase, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance. Paul's life, and the life of the apostles for that matter, were not exactly appealing to the world. Earlier in the book, Paul talks about his many, many sufferings. 
oftentimes suffering greatly for Jesus because he boldly proclaimed Christ to those who he was around. Ambassadors for Jesus will often be confusing and look foolish in the marketplace. And it's simply because we don't have the same job title and aim of our work as those around us. Just three uh, kind of categories that we might consider. There's many of these, but uh, firstly, the world uses work as a means for status and significance. The world uses work as a means for status and significance. Ambassadors of Jesus, on the other hand, are clothed in Christ's righteousness and are secured in God's love eternally. Our work could never add any significance to what we've already been given in Jesus. So, we're free to elevate and celebrate others at work, even if it costs us that promotion or that raise, because we want to celebrate them. We want to give them... Uh, yeah, Thanksgiving. It's also will cause us to be humble and willing to listen to our colleagues because we don't need to be right all the time. Man, I struggle with that. <laughs> we'll be free to sacrificially serve our colleagues, bring them meals, help them move. There's a million ways in which we can serve them because we're not primarily concerned about us succeeding over them. And there will be ways at work in, we, we, in which we can actually help them with a project, help them with something that they're doing even if it helps them succeed and we'll never be noticed. That's okay, because we've already been given everything in Christ. Another category, the world thinks work is a means to an end, comfort and leisure. I shared about this at the beginning, my, my, my desire to just live the country club life. Um, ambassadors of Jesus, on the other hand, know that God himself is the one who works and calls work in and of itself good. We don't just need to gloss over work. We don't need to just get through work to get to leisure. We were created for work. We don't need to speed through it to get to the weekend because it's actually a process by which we learn, we create, and work alongside God. So on Monday morning, we're free to be genuinely thankful and excited for the work ahead of us, even while everyone else is grumbling. I don't know if you noticed it, but Monday mornings, people are not particularly pleased to be there. What an opportunity for us to actually be thankful that God has given us breath in our lungs and good work to do that he's providing for us. We're also free to be supernaturally present in our work. And wow, we need the Spirit's help in this. We're free to be supernaturally present in our work and toward our colleagues because we know that right that moment is where God wants us to be. And so we can be present with them. Last category, and I need to speed up. Uh, The world uh, uh, idolicizes wealth and manipulates their work towards that end. But ambassadors have already been given the glorious riches of the inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. Money is needed. It's not bad. It's just not ultimate. We know our good God will provide what we need, and we need not endlessly tarry to acquire more and more. So we're free to not constantly think about our next raise and our promotion. I can't, (laughs) when I was in consulting, that's literally like half of the things that my colleagues were talking about is how do I get that next raise? How do I get that next promotion? Which those things are, those things can be good. Those things are good. God blesses those, but we don't need to be occupied by them. We're also free to not constantly compete with our colleagues, put them down or edge them out so that we can get to that next thing that we're desiring. And we're free to be completely honest and truthful when dealing with potential customers, knowing that it's, it's useless to manipulate them to fill our pockets. We can just do our work in honesty and humility because we know that God will provide. That list can go on and on. Ambassadors of Jesus will will both look different and speak different from those that are in the world. And it will cause rejection. It's going to cause misunderstanding. It will potentially cause suffering. But it is fully worth it. 
because God has entrusted to us his message of reconciliation. What a gift. So we've been made his ambassadors. So the next thing that we should consider is how should ambassadors approach their work? How are we to do our work in light of the message and mission that we've been entrusted with? In the next session, section, I've been thinking a lot about this for the last year, and I think this is just a helpful framework, very simply, of each and every day, you could think about these three things and apply them to your work. The rest of the course, now there's, there's a million topics that we could do a class on each week, but the next eight weeks we'll be honing in on really specific ways in which we're going to be applying these truths, but it'll be couched in this framework. So the framework is this, therefore work for his glory, in his strength, in his joy. Work for his glory, Work in his strength and work in his joy. So work for his glory. Our work is primarily about the glory of Christ. It's a platform for Christ to display his work of salvation to a perishing world, and we must not take that lightly. In fact, tomorrow morning, that should be the most weighty thing on our minds, is God's glory. Will God be glorified through my work today? So if, let's turn to Colossians three twenty-three through 24. And I'd love someone to read it. Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Hmm. Ambassadors of Jesus always have God's glory in view. We don't report to anyone. Uh, we primarily report to God. Our work, we, we first report to God, not our, our, not our earthly boss. Satan will constantly wage war with us to distract us from this mission of God's glory. He will try to make us focus on literally everything besides God, God's glory at work. Again, he'll cause us to focus on money. He'll cause us to be focused on how we're bitter towards that colleague. He'll be causing us to just be stressed about that project, and that's the only thing that we're consumed with. And so he will, he will attack us. Uh, to be focused on everything but God's glory. But as this verse shares, the glory of God is our aim each and every day. And honestly, what's been helpful for me even as of late is just literally just praying that. I'm driving to work or you know preparing for the work day. Lord, I will be prone to seek my glory today. Lord, help me seek your glory. And just constantly saying that. If I'm in a meeting that I'm about to go into that I'm feeling stressed about or I'm mad at somebody that I'm about to work with, Lord, help me have your glory in mind. So in each meeting, that just some practical, simple applications. In each meeting that you have this week, Christ's glory should be more important to you than any other outcome. Now, we want to pursue the outcomes that God has given us to do because we want to do our work excellently. But let's keep that subservient to Christ's glory. In every email that you send this week, Christ's glory should affect both why it's written and how it is written. In every word that you speak to a client, a colleague, or a customer, God's glory should influence your speech. This is hard for me. In every mundane task that he's assigned to us, the glory of Christ should compel us to do it wholeheartedly for him, especially when no one else sees it. God sees it, and he's given us that task to do. And even if it's boring and mundane, let's do it for God's glory. So we must let the glory of Christ be the chief joy and weight that we feel at work this week. But praise God that he... He uh, gives us his strength to do this work because that is, <laughs> we cannot work, from, uh, work for his glory in our own strength. We will work for our glory in our own strength. So if it's true that our work is spiritual and our workplace is a mission field for the glory of God, do you approach it in the same way you uh, approach, quote-unquote, quote, real ministry? 
to give how you serve in the church or you're ministering, ministering to your neighbors. Likewise, if all your work is spiritual, do you believe that God is the only one who can actually produce fruit from your labor? Let's think about this practically for a second. As you go throughout your work day, how often do you pause and ask for God's help and strength? Maybe you're going into a meeting with a colleague whom you're having a really hard time being patient with. Do you ask for God's strength to be patient? Maybe you're approaching Monday morning dreading the mundanity and drudgery of the week ahead. You're tired of sitting behind your computer and not interacting with anyone if you're working from home still. Do you ask for God's strength to give you focus, joy, and excellence in your work? Or do you just go throughout your week expecting nothing to change? Maybe you're working on a new project for your company and you were selected because of your experience and talent. Are you tempted to rely on your experience and degrees to help you make decisions and lead others? Or do you ask God's strength to help you lead that project in a way that gives glory to Christ and shows others Him in the process and shows others that you're not even working in your own strength, you're working in Christ's. So every day, God is inviting us to pursue His glory through His strength. And when we do, we'll have what we need for the battle that lies ahead. We're going to look just real briefly at Colossians 1, 9 through 14 to just observe a few things. So I'll read this for the sake of time. Colossians 1, 9 through 14 says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in lights. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, obviously there's a million things we could unpack here, but just a few quick points. Our strength left us dead in the domain of darkness and leaves us fruitless at work. Left to ourselves, we do not love God, we do not honor and obey his word, and we do not reflect his beauty. In fact, the opposite is true. Our flesh is in direct opposition to King Jesus and naturally uses its strength for selfish gain, not his glory. Our strength puts us in the domain of darkness. But there's good news, and it's the second truth we see in this passage, that Christ's strength defeated death and transferred us into his kingdom. We were unqualified in and of ourselves, but Christ's perfection now qualifies us to be a son or daughter of God, an heir to his kingdom eternal. And because of Christ's redeeming strength, he now offers us strength to work for his glory. Paul says this, he says, We are to bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. And then he answers the question of how that happens. He says, When we are strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. His glorious might. All power through his glorious might. God offers us his strength at work. Strength that is so gloriously powerful that we can't begin to even comprehend it. He offers us his strength so that we might bear fruit that leads to his glory. And that strength only comes when we abide in him, when we abide in his strength. So each and every day we're going to have to throw off the, the sin of wanting to rely on our own strength and instead put on the strength of Christ. We're going to have to be people who constantly turn to the Lord in prayer at work, asking for his strength rather than Googling a solution to a problem, though Google can be helpful. But let's just pray first. And let's be people who frequently cry out to God, asking for his strength to love and serve our colleagues, especially those whom we have a really difficult time with. Let's be people who frequently call out to God, asking for his strength in 
There's a million situations that that applies to. But are we regularly turning to the Lord and saying, Lord, I don't have the strength to do this. I can't produce this patience in me. I don't have the wisdom to navigate this complex situation. God, give me your strength. And by God's grace, he will give it to us and it will lead towards him being glorified. And lastly, work in his joy. Do you regularly experience joy at work? And when you experience that joy, where is it found? Is it found only when you get that promotion, you get affirmed by a colleague for something, when you get paid every two weeks, or when you leave work and unplug for the weekend? Where do you experience joy at work? Well, Jesus created work not only to bring him glory, but also to give us joy. Do you believe that Jesus wants to give you joy at work? Look, the answer is he does, but he wants to give it to us in a specific way. He wants to give us joy in him by abiding and obeying him. It is hot in here, Jerry. <laughs> I agree. Uh, so John 15, we're not going to read the whole thing, uh, but it, it talks about uh, abiding in Christ. And then it says this, um, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken f- to you, that my joy might be in you, and that your joy may be full. So abiding in any other thing besides Christ that work is deceptive, and that will be joy that won't last. Jesus is clear. Abiding in him and his word is what brings us joy. You can't abide in success for your joy at work because there will always be another job that you're endlessly searching for, and you'll be tempted to think that you got there uh, by your own strength rather than Christ's. You can't abide in money for your joy at work. No amount of money will ever produce the satisfaction and joy that Christ gives. We can't abide in our pursuit of leisure for work. God has good things for us in store at work. Only abiding in Christ will produce joy that lasts. The equation that he uh, outlines for us is simple. Know God's word and obey it. Know God's word and obey it. And he promised that joy will be produced as a result. How sweet would it be if every day we're joyfully working alongside God. We're joyfully experiencing his presence. We're joyfully experiencing his strength at work. So brothers and sisters, uh, we've been made ambassadors of Jesus at work. That is what defines us. That is what sets the stage for our work. That is our primary job title. And now we get to work for his glory. We get to work in his strength. And we get to actually work in his joy. Uh, And through that, it is our prayer that God might use our work to bring him glory by the way in which we do our work excellently, but also so that the many, many, many non-believers whom we spend half our weeks with will come to know Christ and serve Christ and labor alongside with us. And so that is the aim of this class. That is what we'll be honing in and focusing on over the next few weeks.